Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 27th. There's a bit of a calm before the storm vibe right now in the professional tennis world. Of course, all of us eagerly anticipating the return of ATP and WTA action with play scheduled to resume next week in Australia. We were all wondering, were we going to actually get any tennis down under given all the drama that has unfolded off the court? Seems like that answer is going to be a resounding yes. And of course, we here at Cracked Rackets will be covering all the action across our various platforms on our podcasts, on our YouTube channel, and of course, we'll be writing about it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, we had the kickoff of the 2021 college tennis season last weekend, and again, we want to thank all of you out there who supported our Red Zone coverage, who joined us on the feed throughout the course of the weekend, or to all of you coaches, players, fans who reached out to us to say you appreciated our coverage. We appreciated those messages as well. It meant the world to us, and hopefully we'll be able to continue that sort of coverage throughout the 2021 season. But of course, the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out here at at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our incredible Patreon family, and then, of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. If you need anything to update your tennis gear, just go to Midwest Sports. They've got all of the best brands at all of the best prices. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. You go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll let them know we sent you there as well. So we are so eternally grateful for their support. The least we can ask you, go support them as well. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Now, here's today's plan for the podcast. Again, I talked about a calm before the storm. There really isn't that much more to update all of you on on the action in Australia. There have been a couple more withdrawals, right? Stevie Johnson out, Mikhail Torpegard in. We're starting to see acceptance lists, who's playing what event. There was a formation of an additional event for those players who were stuck in the hard two-week quarantine on the WTA side. Yeah, these are all important things, but you know, all things we can cover in one podcast as we look for Australia. 
Australian play to begin. So, of course, we will be doing that later in the week here on today's podcast. I wanted to do something I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Every so often, it's just going to be me on these shows throwing in a segment we are bringing back from the olden days, a segment we call, of course, our changeover chats, where I'm going to chat a little bit about some of the players that are jumping out to me with their results on tour. While we do not have any headline ATP or WTA events this week, we do have a couple of challengers going on. We do have a couple of ITF events as well. I'm going to focus on the challenger happening in Quimper, France this week, as there are a couple of performers, two in particular, who have really jumped out to me with their level of play. Of course, just a quick update on the other challenger going on, I believe in Antalya, Turkey. Certainly, I want to say it's in Turkey. It might be in Istanbul. Either It might be Antalya. Either way, uh, they've yet to start play. Rain wiping away the first four days of action. I don't even think they've started qualifying matches, or if they have started qualifying, certainly they haven't gotten uh, that far through them yet. So Thursday, it's going to be a marathon day in Turkey for the Challenger. They're scheduled to play like over 100 matches on the schedule, and of course, it's so difficult. They have so many courts there, but it's always difficult. You know, no match schedule ever stays on time. All it takes is one seven six in the third, and then everything's screwed up for the rest of the day. So, you know, we'll be monitoring that closely throughout the week. Hopefully, they'll be able to play any of the matches there. You also, of course, still hear rumblings from people as we are playing seasons in the midst of a pandemic, and so how has that pandemic affected various locations? where these tournaments are playing uh, are taking place how has it affected events that are scheduled to take place down the roads there are still these continuing developments but again we will save them for another episode on today's show I want to focus on two players in specific who have jumped out to me not only over the past week with their results not only over the past few months but really over the past year maybe even two years two young players who in their career trajectories are kind of right where you want to be steady linear growth on the rise and look poised to make big jumps here in this 2021 season so all right the player I want to start with is a guy who you may not know as well and he's one of the many talented young Frenchmen on tour and look you start to think of some of the young talented Frenchmen obviously some who jump out a guy like Hugo Umbert who certainly is leading the pack right now Hugo Umbert currently uh, 22 years old sitting at number 32 in the rankings he's a pretty you know pretty uh comfortable lead compared to his fellow young Frenchman, right? But there are a bunch of other ones in the mix as well. You start to think about, you know, some of the guys who had really strong ones towards the end, runs towards the end of last year, a guy like Quarantine Moutet, who was really good, Hugo Gaston, another Frenchman who has been really good, Jeffrey Blancenau, if you follow the Challenger circuit, you've heard heard him have success of late, a guy like Dan Added has had a lot of success on the ITF uh, circuit, and you've heard me talk about him quite a bit if you listen to our GSP aces of the day but another young Frenchman who again might not be as lauded as an Hugo Umber, a Quarantine Mute, even some of the guys who came before Quentin Halise, Juan Sebastian Tatlot who were more successful ITF juniors than the guy I want to talk about today who I think has been if not the best player, one of the five best players at the ITF level since the start of the 2020 season. And that's Evan Furness, 
who you look at his career trajectory, for those of you who don't know about Evan Furness, Furness, 22 years old, going to turn 23 in August. The Frenchman had a career high in the junior rankings of number 36. So again, that's not going to blow you out of the water, right? Furness wasn't this junior slam champion who much was expected of. Yeah, he made a third round of junior Wimbledon in 2016, lost to Stefano Tsitsipas. Yeah, he made, you know, played a bunch of the junior slams, had good enough results to become a top 50 junior in the world, but how many top 50, former top 50 juniors in the world have you never heard of on the pro circuit? The answer is quite a few. And, you know, for Furness, it was steady, linear progression. You look at, you know, he played his first pro tour match all the way back in 2014 when he was, you know, uh, uh, I think 16 or 15 or 16 years old, played one match, didn't win it. You know, you start to look at as he went through the years in 2015, he was able to play 20 match or 21 matches, went 11 and 10 that season 2016 he goes 16 and 13 you know so again steady progression his first full season is 2017 he goes 42 and 28 in pro events during that season now he did not I believe make any pro finals that 2017 season but pretty quickly found himself making the jump uh, to uh, to playing a full-time tour schedule. You look at what he was able to accomplish uh, for Evan Furness during uh, his first few seasons. 2018, he makes his first two uh, ITF finals. He uh, ends up winning in Portugal, knocks off David Guiaz in Cameroon in the end of November. He ends up losing to Skander Mansuri. Then in Hong Kong, he ends up knocking off. Julian Lenz makes another final during the 2019 season, although it is safe to say 2019 you look at the results furnace was able to put together that season uh you know relatively unsuccessful compared to his previous years he went 30 and 3 and 29 during that 2019 season now during that 2019 season i believe he also played his largest amount of challenger matches and challenger level events he really struggled during 2019 he played you know you look in his career uh in, he's currently 6 and 19 in challenger events during the course of his career during that 2019 season he played i want to say 10 challenger matches and i believe he went Two and two and eight in those ten challenger matches, so that's why his record fell a little bit. He started to try to make the jump at the end of 2019, but then in 2020, given it was in the midst of a pandemic, given it was you know very difficult to find playing opportunities, and if you were a guy in the vomit zone, 300 to 500, which normally you probably get into challenger qualities, but given the limited playing opportunities, you were lucky to find futures events to play last year. That's what a furnace had to spend a lot of time doing and guess what that is where Evan Furness thrived you look at what he has done since the start of the 2020 season Evan Furness 43 and 9 overall in his last uh 43 and 9 overall I guess in his last 52 matches and you look at what's come for him during that time he has made six different futures final he's won four of those finals you know who his two losses came to in his two futures finals to start the 2020 season back to back lost back to back matches to a guy by the name of Carlos Alcaraz who we know went on to win a bunch of challenger events come the end of 2020 as one of the young studs we expect to maybe even crack the top 100 here in this 2021 start of the season, but Evan Furness has just been rock solid on the ITF circuit, and I mean, if you watch his game, you can understand why. And look, he's five foot seven, five foot eight. There's a lot to ask of physically from him, but. 
ball just absolutely explodes off of the furnace forehand wing and you can see with his serve as well his ability to open up the court with that serve then you hit, use his forehand to move his opponents around the court certainly he's proficient off of the backhand wing now that's the side that sits a little bit short and it's more of a neutralizing shot than the weapon that his forehand is but I think he does a really good job of using his slice to mix that ball off speed and then does a really good job with his aggressive footwork to get around on the ad side that backhand corner so that he's able to hit forehands from that position on the court. It's very Christian Guerin-esque, and I know that's a weird comparison, but the way Christian Guerin can use his forehand to move opponents around the court, the way he seeks to hit forehands in that ad side of the court, that's what Furnace tries to do. And again, I know he's five foot seven, but that ball, when he turns into it, absolutely freaking explodes through the court. And, you know, today here in, and the reason I wanted to bring him up today, he's playing this week a challenger actually in Quimper, France. Uh, he got a really nice win for him in his round of 32 match uh, over Roberto Marcora. Now, Furness was a wild card into this event, takes advantage of the wild card 2 and one over Marcora. Now, Marcora, six foot four, has made, I think, four challenger finals since the end of 2019. And I think all of them were on hard courts. Marcora's a guy who's going to hit the big serve, who's going to look to move forward, play big forehands. And I mean, he just couldn't phase Furnace. Furnace broke him down. Furnace was able to get use his pace and, you know, use Marcora's pace and redirect it. Was the guy dictating from the baseline, determining, you know, the angles, the trajectories of the ball, the flight paths of each and every point, the terms, really, of each and every point. And Furnace served really well in this match as well. And that's a theme, I think, of his matches of late. Evan Furnace only made 59% of his first serves, but 188% of those first serve points, 160 of his second serve points and the second serve is a big concern because at five foot seven sometimes that ball does hang up a little bit but his first serve absolutely can hit through the court very Noah Rubin-esque right Noah Rubin a sneaky springy athlete I think Evan Furness is very similar obviously I talked about his quickness his footwork and ability to find forehands from any position of the court a really good mover into the outer thirds as well now of course you do worry for Furness is he going to get overpowered as he comes across bigger more physically dominant players and it's worth noting again he's currently 6-19 and 19 in his career in challenger level matches, but he's going to have a really good opportunity here. He's going to have another shot at Enzo Cacaud, uh, a fellow Frenchman, in his second round match in Quimper. You look at, again, what he's done here over the course of uh, over the course of his last few matches in 2020, he played the Wrens challenger, uh, and that incident made the quarter, uh, the round of 16. He played a challenger the next week. It was actually last year's version of this Quimper challenger and lost first round. So, Again, he's a completely new player in terms of the confidence he's developed, in terms of the growth he's undergone uh, since playing his last round of challenger matches, really, when he tried to break through in 2019 and then at the start of 2020. He's a guy who did have to go back to the ITF circuit to regain confidence, reassert his ranking, and, you know... That's exactly what he did, and he had success doing it. So the question for Evan Furness now is, again, where do you go from here? Because it's clear his game can thrive at the ITF level. And again, 43-9, and nine, you look at some of the wins he's gotten. He knocked off Holger Rune, the current number one junior in the world, 6-love in the, in the final set to win a title in Manicor about a week ago at the Futures level. And, you know, some of the wins he's had over the past year, good wins over guys like, you know, Stefano Neapolitano, a good win for him over 
over a guy like a Jan Chwinski, a Ryan Peniston, who we've seen have success at the challenger level, Udzimir Ignatik, who's been really good at the futures level as well, Eden Lashem of Israel, who we've seen have a success at the challenger level, Tobias Simon, who we've seen have success at the challenger level, Maxime Janvier beats Ignatik again, Benjamin Bonzi he beat at the futures level. So he's beating these players who are playing challenger matches now. The question is for him, can he translate his level himself to the challenger circuit? Is there can he get over that mental blockage that clearly he has had early in his career, 6-19, and 19, against guys who he is beating when he plays them at the futures level? I think the answer is an unequivocal yes. I see his forehand. I see the way he hustles for every point. A guy who, given his size, can't afford to quit, right? Because it's not as easy for him to hit that big serve, go for that streak where he plays five points in a row and hits four winners and in eight total balls. He doesn't have those sorts of weapons, but his point construction, the way he moves the ball around the court, the way his forehand, there's just a springiness to it. And again, you look at his career success thus far for Evan Furness. He's got over 60% win percentage on all three surfaces, hard court, clay, and other, which I assume accumulates his records on both grass and, I guess, carpet courts, because I think that's the only other surface they play on. Uh, He's really rock solid, and he's too good for futures level events. So I'm really very much looking forward to seeing him make the jump to the challenger level. I hope he's able to have success uh, when he does it because, again, French tennis, the Simone, Songa generation, the... Uh, who am I missing? And Gasquet, they're aging out, right? Gael Monfils still probably has a few good years left. But, you know, other than Hugo Umbert, who's the next big French player? Is it Quarantine Moutet? Is it, you know, Hugo Gaston? Is it going to be a guy like Benjamin Bonzi and Evan Furness? I don't know. But usually there's at least three, four, five Frenchmen inside that top 100, maybe even inside that top 50. Right now, Hugo Umbert is the only sure thing. Uh, but certainly if you are a French tennis fan, Evan Furness is a name you should monitor throughout this 2021 season. The other guy I want to talk about is a guy who we've mentioned, I think, is, uh, you know, on the margins here on this mini break podcast over the years, but a junior who I'm a big fan of. I should say former junior now. I think you look at how old he is. I think he just turned 22 years old. He's a guy who also won his first match of this Quimper Challenger event and a guy who has had a ton of success on the futures level over his past two seasons, and that's Kasper Zuk, the 22-year-old Polish young player who, again, was a first-round winner uh, here in Quimper, knocking off the number seven seed Peter Gojewicz, uh, six. Six four six three. The thing that impresses me so much about Casper Zuk, you go watch him hit a forehand, and I don't know if this comparison is is flattering or not, but it's very you know because they're guys of similar age, and I guess neither of them is really a top one hundred player yet, but. It just reminds me of J.J. Wolf, the way where if J.J. is like, okay, I'm going to turn into a forehand now, and this point is either going to be over in that I'm going to hit a winner or I'm going to put myself in a position to win the point or it's going to be an error. Casper uh, Zouk has that sort of forehand. If he gets to hit that ball cleanly, if he's able to set with time and set his feet and be aggressive with that ball, it's a very flat stroke, but man, does it fly through an indoor hardcore? These Quimper hardcourts, by the way, are playing particularly fast, very Cleveland, Columbus, Midwest. It's a cold country. Therefore, these indoor courts play faster, sort of indoor hard court. 
Uh, but, you know, Casper Zouk, I mean, you look at his effectiveness against Gojewitz, made 70% of his first serves, was 27 of 30 on first serve points in the match, 9 of 13 on second serve points. So again, he's 36 of 43, only lost 7 points on serve throughout the duration of the entire match. That's freaking nuts. And look, Casper Zouk, another guy who only 6 feet tall, but... Very Alejandro Davidovich Fokinae David Gofeni in his athleticism. The word that comes to mind is just springy. He's a good athlete. He's going to track down that extra ball in the corner. He The ball is going to explode off of his strings. His first serve is absolutely a weapon. And you look for Kasper Zouk over his last 52 weeks. This is a guy who has had a ton of success on tour. You look overall, where is he at in terms of his record? Kasper Zouk, 33-9. and in his last 52 weeks on tour. Now you expand that to 2019. He's 70 and 28 overall in his last two seasons, seven ITF titles and eight total finals. Of course, unlike, uh, Evan Furness, you look for Casper Zouk. He already has a semifinal at a challenger level under his belt. He made the semifinals in Calgary last year. He knocked off Ashik Pospisil in three sets. We all know Pospisil went on to have a very successful indoor hardcourt season or was in the midst, I should say, of a very successful indoor hardcourt season when he lost that match in Calgary. But yeah, for Zouk, Seven titles in eight finals. Like, everyone gets angry because FAA doesn't win enough in finals. Kasper Zouk is winning in finals. And again, nine in t- or seven and ten in his career in challenger matches. That's not great, but it's not horrible. It's about 500, which for someone who just turned 22 years old is about what you expect for a normal player's growth trajectory. And again, do I think Kasper Zouk's going to be a guy who's going to jump into the top ten, going to be a top five player? No, I don't know if he can quite do that because his game... One-dimensional is an unfair thing to say, but he does hit the ball a little bit flat, and because he's six feet, sometimes when he's in the outer thirds of the court, that ball does hang a little bit short in the center of the court, but... I mean, when he's clicking with that forehand, he can absolutely rip through the court. That first serve, again, is going to be a weapon regardless of surface. Now, because he hits the ball so flat, he's only 39-35 and overall on clay for his career and will need to continue to improve on other surfaces. But I'm telling you, you watch Kasper Zouk play. Again, it's very Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Ian. You look at some of the numbers for him over his last 52 weeks for Kasper Zouk, who again, 32-6, and six, I should say, over his last 52-33-9 and nine since the start of the 2020 season. He averaged a 58.3 first serve percentage, but his win percentage on first serve points, 78%. And let's be clear, he's doing a lot of this against future or in futures level events. But you look at some of the players he's beating, Arthur Rinderneck, who just won, or, or excuse me, he's about to play Arthur Rinderneck, so it, you can uh, excuse that one. But Jason Sung, uh, the former top junior in the world, who he's beaten twice now in the past month. Uh, who is certainly a guy we've seen play a bunch of different challenger-level events. He's beaten a guy like Nuno Borges, who we see rolling through the ITF circuit and about to start playing a bunch of challenger events. He's beaten guys like Max Hamu, and I mentioned JC Aragoni, and obviously Vashik Pospisil, Tobias Kamka. Really excited to see he has a win over Stanford rising freshman Arthur Ferry as well. Kasper Zouk's been really, really good. Now, you do look for his career in challenger matches. He's averaged a 55% first serve percentage and won 74% of his first serve points during those challenger matches. What that shows me, the first serve's a weapon. 
The problem for him is the consistency on the return. He's making returns in play and sometimes leaving that return a little bit short because, again, that backhand more of a drive than or more of a placeholder than anything else. It's the forehand that he really tries to create pace with, and sometimes uh, when he does that, he does get a little bit slap-happy. Again, he's more of a hardcore player right now than on any other surface, but, I mean, go watch him hit forehands. Just turned 22 years old, currently ranked 267, I believe, in the world. You look for the live rankings, though. He's up to 253 in the live rankings, which would be a new career high for the 22-year-old. And again, he's going to get to start playing now Grand Slam, qualifying with that ranking. He should get into all challenger events now. And he's played just, you know, so he's played 10 total challenger events in his career thus far. You add to that total, you assume he's going to maybe match that total here during that 2021 season. Assuming we have 10 challengers to play, Casper Zuk's going to have opportunities to make a jump this season. And again, the things he does well already, the serve, the forehand, his movement, I think they're ATP level. Now, some of the things he doesn't do as well, he's not the most comfortable volleyer, but he knows when to move forward. Uh, He does play a little bit streaky tennis. Again, that backhand side will stay a little bit short. That forehand does get a little bit flat. Casper Zook's a really fun player to watch, and you talk for Zook, again, a guy who throughout just his career, steady growth in 2018, he goes 16 and 18 overall. In 2019, he goes 44 and 20 overall. In 2020, he goes 30 and 9 overall. He's mastered the futures level, and now it's time to see him play more challenger tennis. And again, he wasn't a top 10 junior like some of the players we see break through. He was a very, very good junior, number 21 junior in the world, a guy who won 75 matches to 34 losses during his junior career. But I just, I see his serve, I see his forehand, I see his athleticism. I see a guy who can be a top 100 player, and I do think with more challenger reps, I think he's a guy who has more success than a guy like Evan Furness, who every point is going to look a little bit different for Evan Furness. For Casper Zuki, kind of know what his plays are already. You know the things that he's going to do well. Uh, but I'm really encouraged for both of these players, and I hope, again, they both are going to get really good looks here in Quimper now at round of 16 matches. Casper Zook going to take on Arthur Rinderneck, who has been fantastic, and who Judson Wall and I talked about earlier this week on the Mini Break podcast. I guess that episode was yesterday. Uh, they all blend together at this point, folks, but that's going to be a really fun, hard-hitting match, of course. Uh, Evan Fern is going to get to take on Enzo Kakao, who knocked off number 60 Yuri Rodionov in uh, three sets in the first round, so that should be a fun match, and again, you've got Korda versus Borg tomorrow, you've got Madden versus Bonzi, you've got Rinderneck, Zook, Haransky versus Martyr, of course, Lestian, Nakashima, Marchenko already advancing to the quarterfinal rounds, even if Quimper is the only challenger we get this week, should be a really fun week of tennis uh, throughout in France. So we will, of course, continue to monitor that here on the Mini Break podcast. And again, we will be back throughout the week uh, beginning to focus on the play that's about to start up in Australia. We'll preview all of that action. We, of course, will talk even more about the Australian Open, what is happening off the court down in Australia as we get closer and closer to the start of the event. Talk about how that might affect the play we are going to see unfold on the court. And again, we will be bringing back our GSP Aces of the Day next week to offer our selections each and every morning on how we expect the action to unfold in Australia. Time zones 
one's going to be tricky to maneuver, but we are going to be doing our best. We hope, again, you will all be following that and you will be listening to that podcast, this podcast, our Cracked Interviews podcast, and all of the stuff we are doing here at Cracked Rackets. I will ask, as always, because I know it helps our formulas. It helps super producer Daniel Westoff sleep well at night. If you all like, rate, subscribe, review to all the shows, you share them with your friends. Of course, if you need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Speaking of those super producers, shout out to Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. And again, if you want to check out more of our content, we do have some Patreon-exclusive content now. Match of the Day previews Monday and Wednesday for all of the action going on across the tennis world. And a huge shout out to all of you Patreon supporters who make it possible for us to try things like our Red Zone coverage of the ITA kickoff weekend that we did this past weekend. Hopefully, again, all of you enjoyed that content, and if you have missed out on any of it, you can find it all at the website crackrackets.com. But with that in mind, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Dra- uh, Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.